And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us, and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist, with deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gumdrop lips, Welcome everyone to Podcast 21, and welcome to the month of June and the beginning of summer. June 28th is National Paul Bunyan Day, so in his honor, we have the top six Paul Bunyan statues in the U.S. What else do we have tonight, James? Well, we have an audio drama of the Fantastic Four starring SNL's Bill Murray and a singing hypnotist. We also have a comedy piece from Shelley Berman, the world's largest musical instrument, a ghost story, and lots more stuff. So, this is Uncle Frank. And this is Jimmy Sweets. So, let's get started. The Templeton Twins, together with Teddy Turner and his Bunsen Burners, heat things up with their version of Light My Fire. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be alive. Oh, if I was to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Try to set the night on fire. The time to hesitate is through. No time to wallow in the mire. Try now, we can only lose. And our love become a funeral fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Try to set the night on fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, 
baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire Nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. What you are now hearing is music played on a cave, not in a cave, but using the cave as an instrument. It is the stalagpipe organ at the Lurie Caverns in Virginia. Rubber mallets controlled by a central keyboard tap stalactites of various sizes to produce the tones to create this music. It was a three-year project of Leland W. Sprinkle back in the late 1950s. The cavern stalactites have been known for their musical ability since the cave's discovery back in 1878. In fact, guides have tapped out tones on them since the earliest tours. The guides were still tapping in 1954 when Sprinkle and his son Robert visited the caverns. The performance he heard inspired Sprinkle so much that he hatched a plan to make the world's largest musical instrument. Sprinkle then explored three and a half acre section of the cave, tapping formations until he found the right 37 to make up his scale. He then shaved the stalactites to make them produce even more accurate notes. These stalactites are spread over three and a half acres, but because of the cave's acoustics, no notes are heard louder than any other. The organ's keyboard has now been fitted with a player piano unit and so its haunting music seems to be tapped out by a spectral Leland Sprinkle as water droplets fall from the ceiling.
truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. The tombstone of Margaret Johnston and her six children in Trenet, Scotland, was erected over an empty grave. The family vanished in the 17th century without a trace. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about the man who paid for his own assassination. When a man lends another man money, he certainly does not intend that it should be used to pay for his own assassination. But such was the case with William the Silent, father of Dutch independence, who advanced 12 crowns to a man by the name of Balthazar Gerard. Gerard had requested an audience with William, and the money was given to him to pay for his transportation. But the money was used by Gerard to buy a gun with which he shot William dead. Believe it or not. My bathroom, my bathroom is a private kind of place. Very special kind of place. The only place where I can stay Making faces at my face My bathroom, my bathroom Is my very special room Where I primp and fuss and groom
And now 13 minutes of self-help from Miss Pat Collins, the hip hypnotist. Let's turn on. By that, I mean the power of the mind. Let's learn how to use the power of our minds, how to have a great self-image without the use of anything else. First of all, let's get rid of all the spookiness of hypnosis. Let's explain exactly what hypnosis is, because it's not what most people think it is. Most people think that when you are hypnotized, you're in an unconscious state, that you're not aware of what you're doing, that you are following the orders of someone else, that they have a power over you which is completely wrong. First of all, a hypnotist does not hypnotize you. You hypnotize yourself. A hypnotist is a guide. He says words or she says words. You follow the words, they are suggestions. You take the words and you put yourself into a hypnotic trance. By a trance, that means that the body is completely relaxed, that the one mind is in a so-called sleeping state. That's where the word sleep comes from. The other mind is completely alert, completely aware, but can only concentrate on one thing at a time. In this particular case, the hypnotist's voice, or your own thoughts. The power of concentration, even when you do it to yourself, actually puts you into a hypnotic trance. When you're under hypnosis, you're completely aware. You can come out of hypnosis any time that you want to. When you are taking a hypnotic suggestion, you are taking it and reacting to it because you want to. If a hypnotist suggests something to you that you do not want to react to, you will not. Most people do not realize this. So if you picture bad images in your mind and think negative thoughts of yourself, if you really don't want to accept them, you won't. But if you dwell on them, you will accept them and it becomes like a daydream. You think about it and think about it and you develop a negative personality. So turn yourself around, turn yourself on. Think positive thoughts, picture beautiful things. As you go to sleep at night, think of what you would like to do tomorrow. Think of like what you would like to be tomorrow. Think of how you would like to react to others tomorrow. Daydream, but daydream with positive thoughts. This is self-hypnosis. For some strange reason, the more that you dwell on something in your mind, your subconscious, which is your inner mind, pushes you towards it. Sometimes you will completely forget about the things that you thought of as a child, the things that you daydreamed, and yet you find yourself taking that road. You must unhypnotize yourself from false beliefs. You must use your power of rational thinking. You can do marvelous things. This is not an escape. This is not a way to run away from life. This is a way to curve your life, to make your life the way you want it to be, so that you can acquire a habit of happiness. It's all in you. It's in all of us. It's just that most of us don't use it. Most of us don't tap on that inner door. Most of us don't turn on. You can sit and concentrate and relax and think about every muscle in your body relaxing, and that will turn you on. That will hypnotize you. You can hypnotize yourself into thinking all the positive things and becoming all the things that you really want to believe. But you must do it yourself. Even as a good hypnotist who hypnotizes you cannot make you get up out of a chair and dance unless you really like to dance. But sometimes we like to dance, but we tell ourselves we can't, so we never let ourselves find out. You must unlock all of these doors to your real personalities. You must find all the creative opportunities that are inside of you. It's like a meditation, but it's actually self-hypnosis. Now, if you want to try to turn on, sit back 
in a straight chair or lie on a bed, find something that you can stare at, something you can fix on, maybe play some soft music, let yourself be undisturbed. Now concentrate on that one object and stare at it and start breathing deeply, very deeply, and this will relax you. And then let your body grow very heavy, let your body grow very tired, and then close your eyes and start picturing beautiful, beautiful scenes. Just beautiful things like running water over a stream or clouds floating in the air. Let yourself become happy. Now, picture yourself the way you'd like to be, the real you. Turn yourself on. If you want to be thin, picture yourself thin. Every day for at least five minutes, do this. If you want to help yourself in any way, get rid of bad habits, for five minutes, turn on. Picture yourself getting rid of this bad habit. Picture yourself having better thoughts, living a better life. Go ahead, turn on. Let yourself have more life from the years that you have. Get that winning, winning feeling by turning on. Now remember, just sit back, stare at something, breathe very deeply, relax your body, close your eyes, and turn on. Relax and let your own success that is there somewhere in there at that inner door come out and work for you. Think the positive thoughts. Before you do it, think positive thoughts. While you are actually putting yourself into this trance, think positive thoughts. As you are bringing yourself out of the trance, think positive thoughts. Don't walk in thinking this is not going to work and then lie down or sit down and talk to yourself because it won't work. Think positive. Turn yourself on. Picture yourself turning a doorknob, opening a door and all the beautiful things there, all the beautiful things that you want for yourself can become yours. And if a barrier gets in your way, think of yourself jumping the barrier, conquering the barrier. You cannot appreciate the good if you don't have some barriers, some of the bad. If it was all good, you wouldn't enjoy it. Most of us have more personality than we think we have, but we give ourselves negative thoughts and we hold the personality in. So turn on, lie down, now stare at something, take deep breaths, relax, close your eyes, let your body tingle, keep breathing deep, and let yourself turn on. Keep turning on, thinking all of these things. There is success in you. There is positive attitude in you. There's a better looking you, a healthier you, a happier you. And you can do this all by yourself. You need no one but you, because in reality, you run your own life. You are the one that does it. Not the hypnotist, not the parent, not the teacher. You are the one that accepts the suggestions and takes them or leaves them. So why not turn on and make it better for you? Now, go along with me as I turn myself on. I'm going to sit in this chair, get very comfortable, place my feet flat on the floor, my hands in my lap with my palms upward, not clasped. Now I've found an object to stare at, and I'm going to stare, and I'm going to breathe very deeply. I'm going to relax. 
I'm going to relax every muscle in my body. I'm going to concentrate, starting with my toes, and think about them relaxing. My ankles, my legs, let everything get very heavy and relaxed. And just breathe deeply. Everything's getting very, very heavy and very relaxed. Now my eyes are heavy and I want to close them. And I'm going to give myself a suggestion, a signal to close them. So when I count to three, my eyes will close and I will relax completely. One, two, three. Now I am completely relaxed and I will concentrate only on my thoughts. I will let nothing, nothing bother me. I will think positive things. Yes, I am thinking positive things now. I am picturing beautiful things. I am picturing wind blowing in the trees and sun shining through the trees. And I'm breathing deeper and I'm so relaxed. And now I'm picturing myself successful, smart, liking people, communicating with people. That's what I like, to communicate with people, to help them, to show them, to entertain them. I'm relaxing more and I'm getting so drowsy and yet I can speak to you. I'm completely turned on now, relaxed. I hear music in my mind and my imagination is going wild. Things are buzzing around and around in my imagination. Beautiful things. Nothing negative. No, I would not let anything negative come in here, not with me. Just beautiful things, positive things, and I'm relaxing more. I picture myself tomorrow, getting up, enjoying the day, enjoying the children, enjoying all the beautiful things that are around me. And if trouble comes, I'll conquer it. We'll conquer it. Me and my inner mind will conquer it. We won't let anything stand in our way. And I'm so relaxed and I tingle all over. I need nothing, nothing but myself. I'm so relaxed. Every muscle is relaxed. My mind is at peace. I've completely turned on and everything is so beautiful. I can't pick out which thing I want to think of first. Yes, I want to think of my baby daughter and my husband and there are my friends and there's my work and how I'm going to treat it. And I'm going to be very successful. 
and all the nice people. That's what helps you turn on. Yes, I can see them all now. And it's beautiful. And it's so relaxing. And I just want to sit here and see all the beautiful, positive things. But I must awaken myself now. I must bring myself out. But I tell myself that next time I turn on, I will turn on stronger and deeper and more positive. And I will help and I will teach people how to do this. Now, I'm going to give myself a signal to awaken, to turn off one, two, I know on the count of five I will turn off, three, I'm full of energy, I feel great, the sun is shining, four, and five. What a wonderful thing you can do with your mind. Why don't you try it over and over, over and over, try this. Try it and you will be successful. You will get the habit of happiness. You'll have personality. You will remove all the emotional scars and you'll give yourself a facelift. But most important, you and your mind can learn how to turn on. As I go into this hypnotic trance, I realize imagination is funny. It makes a cloudy day sunny, makes a bee think of honey, just as I think of you. Imagination is crazy. Your whole perspective gets hazy. Starts you asking a daisy what to do. Oh. 
How old am I? Not nearly as old as I look. Been that way ever since that night when my hair turned white. That night? Well, I was driving home from a dance up near Ridgewater on this little road that leads to the big highway. It's pretty dark and winding for at least ten miles, bumpy and curving through a forest so thick that the branches keep scraping on the sides of the car like they were trying to keep you from getting away. Suddenly, there's somebody in the road right in front of the car. I jammed on the brakes and stopped just in time. There was this shivering young woman. She had jumped into the middle of the road as if she could stop a car just by holding up her hand. She told me that she'd been in an accident and her car was a wreck. Then she asked me if I'd drive her home. She looked so cold and miserable. I let her in and even threw my white jacket around her because she was wearing a thin silk dress without even a sweater. Well, we started off for her house. And after more turns than you would believe, we pulled up in front of a very tidy little cottage with all of its lights turned on like a Christmas tree. She just sat there looking all worn out like she had used up every bit of energy she could spare. Please ring the bell and see if my mother's home, she said. The bell is on the left near the brass knob. I rang the bell and the lady who answered looked like an older version of my hitchhiker. Before I even had a chance to speak, she said, don't say a word, just come this way. It all seemed very strange, but I followed her anyway. Up the stairs, down a hall, and into a very pretty room. A girl's room, I could tell. And on the table by the bed, there was a picture of a young girl. It was my hitchhiker. But all around the picture, there was a black border. Then the woman beckoned me to follow her back downstairs. I followed her down the stairs, out the door, and past the car. There was nobody in it. We walked a little further and came to a little private cemetery with a grill work fence around it. We went in and stopped in front of a grave that looked newer than the others. The woman pointed to the grave and said, My daughter, she was killed in an automobile accident last summer, and every night someone, some stranger, brings her home again. I was terrified. I turned away and left her there, but not before I noticed something sticking out from under the gravestone. I ran to the car and drove back home as fast as I could. It wasn't until I was in my own house and in my own bedroom that I discovered that my hair was white. Pure white, the same color as my jacket. That's what was sticking out from under that gravestone. Just like it had been there ever since the grave was first.
and roadbeds. But what about cross ties? Why our railroads need the lumber of a thousand great forests? You show me the giant who's gonna cut that timber. Paul Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, there ain't nobody who can. Hold a can or an axe hand to Paul the Lumberman. Paul Bunyan lived so long ago that you may wonder how I know. Way up in Minnesota, this earth began to rock one morning. All the folks knew Paul was born. And ships were wrecked on now the horn in southern Minnesota. I'll tell you how he came to be. The son of a great white oak was he. His father was a redwood tree from out in California. That's western Minnesota. Paul Onion, Paul Onion, there ain't nobody who can. Hold a candle or an axe and to Paul the lumberman. Paul Bunyan grew so very tall, he could not stand up straight at all. They said you'll have to leave St. Paul and maybe Minnesota. He laughed and the earth shook far and wide. And once they say Paul Bunyan cried. And hundreds drowned in the tide that flooded Minnesota. So off to the piney woods he went, where he built the camp of great extent. And with his shirt he pitched the tent that covered Minnesota. Paul Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, there ain't nobody who can. Hold a candle or an axe hand with Paul the Lumberman. One day when Paul was round and round, he dug a river in solid ground. To float his giant timber down to the Gulf of Minnesota. Paul Bunyan was born out of the tall tales told by lumberjacks in the Northeast U.S. and Canada back in the 19th century. The early recorded reverence of Paul, though, was in an editorial of the Duluth News Tribune in 1904, but it was a pamphlet of stories put together by William B. Loghead for an ad campaign that made Paul Bunyan a household name. Since then, his fame has only grown, 
and he's appeared in every kind of a thing from children's books to Disney films. But our favorite manifestation of this hero is the giant statues all over the country. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, the Paul Bunyans of America. And I'm going to start with number six. What's number six, Frank? (laughs) Our number six is from the state of Maine. And Maine has always claimed uh, the birthright of Paul Bunyan. They said he was born there. And as you can imagine, that's contested by several states at least. But what's not disputed is they have Paul Bunyan's grave and they have his girlfriend. <laughs> so What are they doing with this woman? Uh, she's just standing there, motionless, <laughs> actually. But uh, So you can imagine with all that kind of a hoopla that they'd have a great Paul Bunyan. And they do. It stands on a pedestal in front of the Bangor Civic Center in Bass Park. It's got an axe over one shoulder and a PV in the other hand. And for the uninitiated, the PV is this long pole with a spike and a hook on it. And it's for manipulating logs in the water. In the chute. Yes. <laughs> well, or in the big in pond. The, yeah, in the... And it was invented in Maine by Joseph Peavy. And so that's why, of course, it has it's highlighted in this Paul Bunyan. Now, this Paul Bunyan looks similar in the face, anyway, as those giant... Happy man statues all over the place. Sometimes he's a tire guy. There's one time he has wearing a sombrero. I don't know if you've seen him. They're all over America. Same manufacturer. He's got that same face, except this guy, he's got a beard. And, of course, he's got the checkered shirt and um, and a cap. They claim in Bangor that this is the world's largest Paul Bunyan. And maybe he is if you count the stand he's on. But if you don't, he's only 31 and a half feet. And that's not the tallest. so Not even close. <laughs> but he does have a metal frame that can stand up to 110 mile an hour winds for hurricanes. And that's pretty impressive. So the statue was donated by two New York builders in 1959 for the 125th anniversary of Bangor, Maine. And that's kind of cool. But the coolest thing about this Paul Bunyan is that in Stephen King's book, It, he made it come alive and... <laughs> And come off the stand. Uh, And that's pretty cool. Now, they're still doing shenanigans with this Paul Bunyan. Whenever there's sort of a convention in town, they dress him up different. When there's a a, a Shriners convention, they put a little fez on his head. And when Willie Nelson was in town, they put a bandana on him. Nice. So, anyway, this is the uh, number six in Bangor, Maine. And James, what's number five? Well, number five is Paul Bunyan from the Mall of America. Oh, cool. <laughs> now, we have that because this is his own theme ride. They they originally called it Paul Bunyan's Log Shoot. And now, I, I sad to say, it's called the Log Shoot, but Paul Bunyan is still a part of it. Nice. Uh, yeah, It's a log flume attraction at Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. And it opened on August 11th, 1992. And it's the mall's oldest ride, incidentally. Uh, it was part of like a Camp Snoopy campaign. Now they have this Nickelodeon thing. This is the only ride that's left from the old Camp Snoopy days. So it's literally the oldest ride in the Mall of America. Does it, it have is, forested it's stuff in Paul it? Like Bunyan's. Like uh, Knott's Berry Farm? Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's, well, it's inside. So there's a lot of stuff. There's, as you can say, there's like, as you can imagine, there's like, a, you know, forestry stuff, animals. Uh, fake trees, that kind of thing. And then in the ride, you're like going through the chute and then you see, you know, chopping down trees and that kind of thing. And um, you see Paul Bunyan there 
and he's then the blue ox is there as well. Cool, his blue babe. ox, but he's a little bit t- bigger than a, than a human, right? And uh, and he's got the axe in his hand, and uh, the the fun thing about it is uh, it, it's so it's set in a it's set in a lumber mill, and it features two lifts lift hills and and uh, two drops, and the passengers experience a singing animatronics like a Disneyland ride, and it includes Paul uh, Paul Bunyan. And it, the He's funny singing? thing is, yes. And the funny thing is, is that it was sponsored by Brawny, so it looks exactly like the Brawny man. <laughs> <laughs> now, is he in several places in the ride, or or just the... no, just the one? And it's it's the only one that I know of where you know because the Brawny man has the has the the light colored beard. He has a light colored beard. Uh, so yeah, all the ones I know is dark. Yeah, merchandising extraordinaire. <laughs> Paul Bunyan is, in fact, the brawny man, <laughs> taking its advertising roots to the to, I the, think they to were, its natural conclusion. They I think. ripped the brawny man, I think, off of Paul Bunyan. <laughs> yeah, anyway, no, clearly. To start with right, and uh, and the song goes something like this, and I don't know the melody, but I'll just read the words. It's everywhere down in Lumberville, born to every Jack and Jill, you will hear the mighty call of a man named Paul. He's the biggest lumberjack of all. Yo-ho, look out below. With the whack of an axe, it falls. Yo-ho, look out below. Where you hear them call, Timber! (laughs) (laughs) So, go ahead. How big is Babe? Is Babe just a little bit bigger than a normal axe? Yeah, because, I mean, they had to fit it into the... Uh, into the uh, the ride itself, and the, the part where he he's at, it's not outside. It's like indoors, so it's it not can... forced perspective. He's just supposed to be that uh, tall. Because why I ask all these questions is before Loghead, um, Paul Bunyan was just he was a big man, but he wasn't like a giant. No, and, and then, lo- originally the, they said that he, the guy was like six four from Canada. So there's well, one the, of them. In the he, like, a bunch of stories, them, yeah. he's always a giant, a yeah. gigant, and that's where it stuck. So. Yeah, so. But anyway, so there's your number five, Mall of America, log shoot ride, Paul Bunyan. Nice. I don't want to miss either one of them. Well, number four, our next Paul Bunyan, he's in Minnesota, and that's in Brainerd, Minnesota, and he's got his own land. It's Paul Bunyan land, and it's in this little amusement park in a pioneer village, has 27 rides, but the centerpiece, of course, is Paul Bunyan, and he's sitting in this giant woodshed, (laughs) and this Paul Bunyan is about 26 feet high when he's sitting. So I don't know what he is when he's standing. I don't want to go back behind that woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> well, when people come up to it, they're only to the top of his boot. Oh. That's how big that is. And he looks a little bit close to the Banger Mainman. He looks like that tire guy statue. Uh, he has a different kind of cap on, but he's got that same face. And, and a pretty polished sculpture. This one, though... Uh, can move around. He moves up his one arm and hand and can wave to you. And he moves his head about and he can blink and he moves his mouth and he talks. And they got a guy with a mic in there. But instead of a big, boomy voice, it's whoever they have. So sometimes it's like this big, <laughs> lumbering guy and it's, hey, how you doing, everybody? Uh, <laughs> and if you go back and tell the name of a friend, so they go, Billy, what you doing here? And uh, But it's it's pretty nicely done. And they also have Babe the Blue Ox. They're there, but... It, they're both really big. They used to be in another spot, and it was originally built in 1954, but it was moved to this new place in this um, music park, something farms they had it, but they added all this and made it new, so it's all this plus now the farms. Now it's Paul Bunyan land. land. And that was in 2003. Wow. So it's a great place to go, and it, and uh, I would advise you to do so. So James, right. 
What's number three? So number three is the Paul Bunyan in Portland, Oregon. And this Paul Bunyan statue is 30 feet tall, 35 feet tall, rather, and was erected in 1959 to greet visitors to the Oregon Centennial Exposition. Nice. Uh, The sculpture was originally prominently placed at the intersection of North Interstate Avenue and North Argyle Street. And now it stands at the corner of North Interstate and North Denver. And Frank, I'm sure you know the place because it's right across the street from the Dancing Bear, B-A-R-E, Gentleman's Club. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, anything go, any fears of the statue ever going into disrepair uh, should be assuaged by two facts. It was listed on the National Register of Historical Places on January in two thousand nine. January two thousand nine, and a plaque shows he's maintained by the Alliance of Portland Neighborhood Business Association. So (laughs) I think it's well at hand, and since it's part of the centennial, but it's the the interesting part of this thing is that like you're driving around the streets, oh whatever, and all of a sudden it's like on the street corner, (laughs) and there's buildings and everything. So this is kind of unique because everything else is in the forest, and this thing's in the city. And you know, if you've been to Portland, it's still foresty because you can see trees everywhere, or whatever. But there's there's definitely buildings around them, which makes it a little unique. Um, this Paul has a red, white, and right checkered shirt, tan pants, and a full black beard. Uh, he sort of looks like he's standing at attention with his arms resting on the head of an axe. Oh, cool! And uh, it's it's interesting. And I'll leave you with this. I think it's. It's well, you know. If you ask any local, it's 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 purported that he was the first hipster to show up in Oregon. <laughs> so well, the first one with the beard over there. Yeah. So well, very good. There you go. Well, now is number two, and this Paul Bunyan is from Minnesota as well as my other one. It's Akeley, Minnesota, and Akeley, Minnesota was known originally for Paul Bunyan's <laughs> cradle. They built this giant cradle, and uh, in 1949. Sort of in a reference to this being uh, Paul Bunyan's birthplace because the Red River Lumber Company that's in town is the same one that William Loghead did his ad campaign and first popularized Paul Bunyan. So the uh, the cradle's still there, but the main attraction now is a Paul Bunyan they built in 1984. And uh, this is also considered the tallest Paul Bunyan. In the world, and maybe he would be if he was standing up, but he's down on one knee. <laughs> so, he's, how tall is he? Well, he'd be forty foot tall if he if he stood up, but he's only thirty and a half foot tall on one knee. He's supporting himself in one hand with the big axe, and in the other hand, he has it down towards the ground. And you could have a photo opportunity and sit in his hand. That's really cool. I've definitely seen that. That's cool. He's he's <clears throat> kind of more rough. He's not as polished as the other sculptures I've talked about. But he's, he's a lot more fun. Has a lot of character. Has a big old beard. Looks like a bee beard. And uh, so, and you're coming along that this way too. You drive, a, turn a corner, and there he is. And he's got a little park bench by him. So a picnic table. So you can have lunch. And then the cradle's behind him. And on the other side is the... Uh, Paul Bunyan Museum, which is really a history museum of the entire area, but it it has Paul Bunyan stuff in it too. So um, that is number two, a great Paul Bunyan. And now number one, and number one, I think we can both agree, Frank is is our favorite. Yes, and it's 
I mean, we've been there. I've been there twice. How many times have you been there? I think just twice myself. So it's on up the old highway on up the coast on in, in Northern California uh, between uh, Eureka and Crescent City. Yeah, it's in Klamath. In pretty Klamath. Much. And uh, that's where they claim it is anyways. So Klamath is it, it is. <clears throat> and it's part of a bigger, broader place called the Trees of Mystery. And and uh, who could not love that? I originally yeah. saw it when I was a child. And this, too, is a talking Paul Bunyan. And uh, he's a little bit more witty than the other person. <laughs> well, it depends who's in him. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, he asked me if I was married. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard when I was <laughs> five years old. I thought... Does this Paul Bunyan giant man know that I can't be married? What is this? <laughs> but it was funny, and, and it's it's stuck in my head ever since. It's accompanied by a giant blue ox, and they're both uh, giant statues. The Paul Bunyan, in fact, stands 49, uh, 49 feet 2 inches high and weighs in at a petite 30,000 pounds. <laughs> Pardon me, so he's the tallest. I think Officially. so. His waist is a firm 52 feet around, his wow. chest a robust 66 feet in circumference, and his strong arms measure at 27 feet each. Uh, even his boots are 10 foot high, so you're not even as tall as his boots on this one. Aye, aye, aye. Um, it's interesting to note that over the years, there have been, many, uh, there have been a number of dis- depictions of Paul and Babe erected on the Trees of Mystery site. These have been of various sizes and not always in the same place. Uh, this stands in the parking lot just as you come up. Uh, if you're going south, you see him first. If you're going north, you have to kind of turn back, and there he is in, amongst the trees. Uh, statues have sometimes gotten damaged and had to be repaired, replaced, or repainted. The original Paul Bunyan was constructed, and it lasted only a year because its head was named made out of paper mache and, <laughs> and the rainstorms that oh melted. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> it caved in. Um, the big blue ox that's standing next to him measures at 30 feet tall, 35 feet tall, rather, and, uh, at the horn tips and weighs just as much as Paul does, which is 30,000 pounds, uh, or 30,000 pounds. Uh, at one time, Babe's head actually nodded in blue smoke. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, and, and the smoke scared some children, so they discontinued it. (laughs) (laughs) The head movement is now inoperable due to bracing installed. In 1983, due from due from uh, years of rain and weather, the head fell clearly off wow. and smashed to the ground. That could have killed somebody. Yeah, and then they 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 didn't make it uh, uh, nodding anymore, and they braced it all up. Goodness. And this thing's giant; it's the size of a Volkswagen, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, it would definitely kill somebody. So, in in my latest trip to the uh, Paul Bunyan Trees of Mystery, I actually got to go inside because when we were kids, we didn't get to go inside. They allow you to do that? No, no, no. no. Inside the actual Trees of Mystery Park. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't go. It was too expensive. Yeah. Both times I went, I never went in. So, I went in and there's there's, uh, several trees that are grown in weird formations. They have a candlestick, candelabra tree and a... a, uh, uh, a, a church tree and then several different things and but one of the cool parts of it is that there are these great big carvings and the carvings tell the story of Paul Bunyan. Oh, killer. 
So they have him doing stuff I never even heard of, him doing some of it, and then some of it's the traditional story. Like only, you know, I really know the Disney story, so I know that real well, obviously, and then there's some other stuff. But it shows him... uh, you know, straightening out a river and and, oh, yeah, and, and yeah, right, and and uh, and then chopping down trees and and uh, uh, him and and Babe, you know, wrestling and creating mountains <laughs> or whatever and and some other stuff. But there's these big, there's a big Paul Bunyan head carved. There's these pictures of the actual story. So it shows him and Babe wrestling, and it's all carved, and they have like you know little captions at the bottom and. Uh, so it's really cool. So there's actually several depictions of Paul Bunyan uh, that go along with the giant depiction of, of uh, or the giant statue of Paul Bunyan. Um, it's in a big parking lot, and, and uh, it's it's really, it's it, they keep it up really well. It's well painted. It's got a big black beard, and, and uh, like I said, it talks to you, and, and the, that's like the first thing you notice when you come in is this big, <laughs> giant Paul Bunyan. The Trees of Mystery is great now. They, I mean, they have that stuff, and it's a little touristy, but they have a tram ride yeah. that goes up through the trees, and they've cut, hollowed out a space just close enough for those things to go. So you're pretty close to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to the trees when you go up the tram. There's a giant, one of the giant redwoods. They're not, they don't have really giant ones, but there's one that's hugely giant, and I think, for my money, it's one of the nicest, well-proportioned when you look up. It yeah. looks like... Somebody created it, Disney or something. So I think it's cool. I think it's called the Fellowship Tree or some Friendship Tree, something like that. I forget. But uh, and then you come down and there's one of the biggest Northwestern uh, basket and Indian uh, artifact exhibits that- inside the, the the gift shop or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's big. I've seen that. I've been in the gift shop. So all in all, the, everything together, this is a great Paul Bunyan and it. It definitely deserves to be number one, and I'm sure everybody else is like like everything else. All the other states are mad that California has it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the, the only thing I've been is they you didn't mention they got a hotel across the street, and in the uh, Trees of Mystery Hotel, and um, they have a great diner where it looks like you're at the bottom of a pond, and above you on the ceiling. You see the bottom of boats, the bottom of ducks, a fishing line coming in for some fish swimming over your head, you know, all stationary. When I went to the Paul Bunyan, uh, there was a guy who lived down in Oxnard, or who was in Port Wainimi, because he said, where are you from? I go, Oxnard. He goes, oh, I'm from Port Wainimi. <laughs> that's what I remember. So very good. We're going to have to go back. Well, that's our top six picks uh, for the best Paul Bunyans in America. And I'm sure there's many out there that would choose different order than we chose, and even different Pauls. What I say is love the Paul that you're nearest to, and pay him a visit, and pay homage to the great American hero. Don't hate the Bunyan, hate the game. <laughs> and as we go out, we're going to hear more tall tales of Paul Bunyan. So enjoy. about your big man, brave and strong. Talk about him long and tall. Never was a big man could stand beside old Paul. Nobody knows just where Paul Bunyan was born. Most of the old loggers claim that he came down from Canada 
not long after the winter of the blue snow. He brought with him Babe, his big blue ox, and began to clear the forests of Washington. And that's how the timber industry was born. Paul Bunyan was a big man, biggest of them all. They never made him big enough to stand beside old Paul. Paul was surely the biggest man in history. Reports vary as to his exact size, but it's said that when he stood beside the average size pine tree, the tip of the tree would just graze the top of his boot. Talk about your big man, brave and strong. Talk about him long and tall. Never was a big man could stand beside old Paul. Paul was the man who built Pike's Peak and dug out Puget Sound. Paul would think nothing of building a box to trap a blizzard or harnessing Babe to a glacier to get it down to the logging country where he could use it to level off a mountain. Hey, Paul, you mighty logger. You raise a dust storm when you holler. Comb your beard with a fresh young pine tree. You and Babe make log in history. Hey, Paul, you mighty logger. Hey, Paul, you mighty man. Paul did a lot of tall talking. He'd talk for 65 days and nights without stopping. And Paul invented arithmetic and algebra and cube root and all those things. Because you know there's a lot of figuring in the logging business. And of course then he had to invent things like grindstones and double-bitted axes and sawmills to carry on his affairs. In fact, in a whole lot of ways, you might say that old Paul invented America. Talk about your big man, brave and strong. Talk about him long and tall. Never was a big man could stand beside old Paul. Babe, the big blue ox, was born in the winter of the blue snow. It snowed as blue as the sky that year, and Babe was just as blue as the snow. When Paul found him, he wasn't big enough to fill Paul's vest pocket. But Paul fed him and played with him until he became the greatest ox in history. Yes, Babe was a big ox, biggest of them all. Only Babe was big enough to stand beside old Paul. Babe measured 62 axe handles and a plug of chewing tobacco between his horns. He could outrun a cyclone and he could drink a river dry every 15 minutes. Yay, babe, your bright blue ox, coat like silk and voice like thunder. Who made an ox like you, I wonder? Yay, babe, haul away the lumber. Yay, babe, your bright blue ox. Yay, babe, your bright blue ox. Babe could pull anything that had an end on it, and he always dragged the cookhouse, the bunkhouse, and all the other camp buildings when Paul's crew moved to a new job. 
Of course, Babe always snaked the logs to the river before the spring drive. And Paul used him for special jobs, like moving hills and such. Old Paul could never have invented the logging industry without Babe, the blue ox. Talk about your big man, brave and strong. Talk about him long and tall. Never was a big man could stand beside old Paul. At first, Paul and Babe did all the logging by themselves. But as Paul's plans grew more stupendous, he needed some help. So he brought in his famous loggers, a heroic breed of men whom Paul inspired to prodigious deeds. At one time, Paul had a million loggers working for him. Roll out your rugged loggers, caulk your boots and stag your trousers, swing that axe and trim that timber, tread those logs and roll them down the river. Roll out your rugged loggers, roll out your logging men. The cookhouse alone covered 50 acres and the dining hall was manned by waiters on roller skates. Paul had a sawmill a mile high and it had a special smokestack with hinges to let the clouds go by. The loggers loved old Paul, and he took real good care of him. Paul Bunyan was a big man, biggest of them all. They'd never made him big enough to stand beside old Paul. Hello. Hello, midget. Midget? Hi. It's me. Your father. What do you mean, who? It's your father. You recognize my voice? You've been living with me for 15 years. Uh, Annie, Annie, I am on the office phone. I've told you a hundred times when you're talking to me on the office phone, you call me daddy, you call me father, but you don't call me goof boy. You understand? <laughs> Nobody's listening, but they may overhear it, and it just sounds ridiculous to have a kid calling me goof boy. Uh, that doesn't right. All right. Call me daddy. All right. Uh, Annie, uh, reason I'm calling up, honey, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to get home before you leave tonight. Well, yeah, your mother called me this afternoon and told me about it. Are you happy? Your first date. Fifteen years old, your first date. Thrilled? So am I. Congratulations. Wonderful. I thought it would never happen. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, honey. I knew it was going to happen. I'm I just all excited about it. Your first big date. You thrilled? Yeah, yeah, with a boy? No, I know it's with a boy. I know. No, no, no. I, I, don't misunderstand. I know it. I just thought it was with a crowd or something instead of it's just one fella, huh? Uh, you going going uh, in a car? Uh, and is there another couple going along? Uh, well, can you get another couple of go, uh, go along? Uh, have you tried to get another couple? I think you'd have more fun if another couple was along, if you'd arrange it. Well, that's all right. Annie, I'm not going to be able to get home tonight because I'm stuck here at the office, and uh, your mother called me, told me all about this thing, and I uh, just want to wish you well. It's your first big evening, and uh, I'd like to be there, and I'm sorry, honey, but there's something I, uh, I want to talk to you about, Annie. Uh, uh, 
Shame it has to be on the phone, but... It's a little something I should have talked to you about a few years back. Actually, your mother should have talked to you about this, uh, this subject, but she doesn't believe in it. Uh, 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 never mind what I mean, you'll learn. Here's the thing. Now, don't rush me, honey. Now, I'm trying to think of a right way to say this. Uh, clean. Uh, you're um, going out with a boy. Any uh, boys and girls are different. I know you know, but I, I'm not talking about what you learn in school, honey. I'm not talking about boy grasshoppers and girl grasshoppers. I'm, I'm talking about people. A young boy is... A young boy is, uh, a young boy is rotten. That's what he is, <laughs> rotten. Yes, I was, and I was rotten clear through to the car, do I know, all right. I don't mean he's rotten, it's just that he has certain feelings and everybody else has to have them as far as he's concerned, you see. Now, you're gonna be together in a car, Annie, a car is a kind of a intimate enclosure, and uh, it's a kind of a kind of a motel room on wheels. You see. And, uh, and uh, uh, well, now don't ask me to be specific. You'll learn in time uh, what I'm talking about. Now, um, this boy is, and if I'm saying this crudely. If I'm saying this in a stupid, crude way, I'm sorry. Now, I'm just a businessman. I don't know from nothing, but you're my kid. And I want to talk to you about this. And if I'm embarrassing you, for Pete's sakes, try to forget it. You're a big girl. You're 15. You're not a baby. If you were in India, you'd be a mother by now. Of course, there's a lot of girls in Chicago who think they're in India. Now, um... This kid is, he's gonna spend some money on you. He's gonna buy a corsage and he's gonna feed you, incidentally, just a malted milk and a bacon lettuce, lettuce tomato sandwich. Don't be a pig like you are with me, understand? All right, eat easy. Uh, no, he's gonna spend a few dollars and it's hard earned money or it's his allowance or you know, who are you going with? Oh, him, well, in his case, he's been risking his neck all week stealing hubcaps, hasn't he? All right. <laughs> So it's gonna, it's gonna cost him a few dollars. He's entitled. Well, never mind what he's entitled to, I'll tell you. He thinks he's entitled to more, but I'm gonna tell you what. When he takes you home, Annie, stops in front of the door, he's gonna wanna kiss you goodnight. Now, I'm gonna give you an order. You come across, you understand? You give him the kiss. No head turning at the last minute, no sweating, no blushing, give him the kiss, all right? That's his business. The second kiss, Annie, that's your business. The third kiss, my business. All right. All right, now, Annie, I'm sorry if I've said the wrong things to you at any time because I don't 
want to embarrass a young lady, and you are, and uh, you probably know all about this, and I just want to make sure in case there was a little spot you missed when you cleaned the window. So I just want to be there to say it. And uh, Annie, I'm not going to worry about you. Your mother and I are not going to worry about you. I'm not even going to set a time for you to come home. I'll tell you to come home at a reasonable hour, but you be the decider of that. That's all I'm going to say. We're not going to worry. You go out and relax and have a good time. When you get home, look for me. I'll be in the window. Goodbye. <laughs> to Bombay, a traveling circus came. They brought an intelligent elephant, and Nellie was her name. One dark night, she slipped her iron chain, and off she ran to Hindustan and was never seen again. Back in 1975, Marvel put out a radio drama version of the Fantastic Four. It was narrated by the great Stan Lee, and among its other voice artists was a pre-Saturday Night Live Bill Murray. He played Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. And so, without further ado, here's episode one, 
The Fantastic Four Meet the Mole Man. Marvel Comics is on the air. Out of the pages of the world's greatest comic magazine come the adventures of the Fantastic Four. This week's epic, the first tale in this new radio series, is from the original book of Marvel called The Fantastic Four Meet the Mole Man, the beginnings of which we shall witness in just half a moment. It's mid-afternoon in New York City. Through the din of midday traffic is heard a strange explosion. A symbol takes shape in the city's sky, and a legend is born. Hey, look up there. What does that mean? Could it be an invasion? And high above the excitement and hubbub, one man holds the still smoldering flare gun. One individual who is somehow more than just a man. He is the leader of the Fantastic Four. This is the first time that I've had to use the signal, and I pray it will be the last. In another part of Manhattan, Susan Storm is having tea with a society friend when she hears... Sue, look out there. What? That symbol in the sky. What do you suppose it means? Oh, I'm sorry, Jackie. I have to go now. What? But we haven't even started our lunch. So it's happened at last. I must be true to my vow. There's no turning back. She's gone. But how? It's time for the world to meet the invisible girl. And at the same time, in a men's clothing store downtown... I'm sorry, sir, but we don't carry anything large enough to fit a man of your stature. Bah! Everywhere I go, it's the same story. I'm in a world too small. Say, look in the sky. That bright red symbol with the number four inside? Huh? What can it mean? Let me see that. Time has come. Out of my way! What? Why do they build doorways so narrow? Holy smokes, a monster! Officer, do something! Hard! Harder I shoot! I warn you! Before we make such a decision, let's observe another scene at Swanson's Garage. <laughs> we got her purring like a lamb, Johnny boy. Good, that's the way it should be. There's only one thing I like better than working on cars. What's that? Hey, look. What's that in the sky? That's my cue. Flame on. Hey, Johnny, what's happening to you? Remember me saying there's only one thing I like better than working on cars? Well, this is it. The figure which just seconds before had been Johnny Storm is now the Human Torch, flying through the skies like a flaming meteor. Red Dog Base to Squadron Leader, Scandal Alert. You are authorized to locate and bring down unidentifiable flaming object now flying over Manhattan. And within a few minutes, Johnny Storm is in a dogfight for his life. much longer. My flame's gonna run out. Oh no, I'm falling. I'm not gonna make it. And then, just as the flying boy 
How long will it last, please? That's got to be the question of the century. How long will it last? There's no way of knowing. What if she never gets visible again? Easy, John. Susan, concentrate. Think about your physical form. Try to imagine yourself visible. I'll try, darling. Look, it's working. I can feel it. Oh, Susan, it is working. Oh, it's still so strange. Oh, oh you were lucky. We might never have seen you again. Richard, you were crazy for proceeding with this experiment. How do you know she won't turn invisible again? Oh, Ben, I'm all right now. Oh, sure, you're okay now, but what about a minute ago? And what's gonna happen to the rest of us, wise guys? Ben, I am sick and tired of your insults and complaining. I didn't purposely... And I'm sick and tired of you, period, Bob. In fact, I'm gonna paste you one right in that smug face of yours. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Ben, wait, Ben. What's happening to him, sis? I don't know, Johnny. His skin is cracking. He's turning into orange rock. Wait, Ben. Don't try to talk yourself out of this one, Doc. I'm gonna nail you. Oh. Cosmic rays. Look at me. They've gotten me too. My body's beginning to blaze. And I'm lighter than air. I, I can fly. Oh, wow. I can really fly. Johnny. Johnny. It's okay, sis. I just feel a little warm. That's all. Minutes later, Johnny Storm's flame has subsided and he returns to the others. Together, they watch a small brush fire which started burn itself out. And then. They stand silently, each absorbed in his own startling thoughts. We've changed, all of us. We're more than just human. Listen to me, you too, Ben. Together we have more power than any humans have ever had. Why, we you don't have to make no speech, big shot. We understand. We gotta use our power to help mankind, right? Right, Ben. I'm gonna call myself the Human Torch. I'm with you all the way. Count me in, too. I'm the invisible girl. I guess I ain't Ben Grimm no more. I'll be what Susan called me. The thing. And I'll call myself Mr. Fantastic. And so was born the Fantastic Four. From that moment on, the world could never be the same. And now, knowing some pertinent history, let's return to the relative present. This is the first time Dr. Reed Richards has brought the fabulous foursome together since that fateful flight, and the task awaiting them is truly awesome. I brought you here to see some photographs I just received from Washington. Pictures. What are they? Pinups? This one's an aerial shot of what used to be a nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union. What made that big hole in the Earth? The same thing that made this hole in a power plant in Southern California. And this one in Australia? It's happening all over the world. Wait, according to the steady pulses on this seismograph, another one is about to go. And halfway around the world in French Africa. What is that sound, Andre? It feels like the ground is shaking under my feet. And that sound, it sounds like noise. An earthquake in the sense. How is that possible? The earth is going mad. Look, the entire installation is in. But the world.
worst is yet to come for these unfortunate French legionnaires. Not only did their nuclear generator sink into the undulating earth, but... But of what use is artillery against an enormous creature whose hide is tough enough to dig through countless tons of rock-hard earth? There is no artillery to stop a monster that can crush a modern tank with but one claw. But just as it seems there is nothing can stop this merciless menace. And the Goliath stops in his tracks. For even a monster such as this needs a master. A master known as the Mole Man. Back at the strategy meeting amongst the Fantastic Four. You see, it's happened again. But how? That's why I brought you together. Our mission is to find out. By studying the previous cave-ins, I've pinpointed a location that is exactly in the middle of all of them. This is where we've got to go to find the answer. What's the name of this place? Monster Island. Monster Island? That's just a fairy tale. There's no such real place called Monster Island. But hours later, in their private jet, the four see a strange mountain rising from the sea like an unearthly, grotesque face. There it is. Monster Island! Little dreaming of the adventure that awaits them, the Fantastic Four land and begin the long climb to the top of the forbidding peak. Wait, I hear something. It's coming from below. Look down there. Six eyes, coming out of that hole. A living three-headed nightmare hurls forth from the bowels of Monster Island. Invisible, Sue. Seeing one of his intended victims vanish before his eyes, the monster halts in bewilderment. Just enough time for me to make a hoop out of my resilient arm. And like a cowpoke roping a wild stallion, Mr. Fantastic lassoes one of the monstrosity's three heads and swings it far out to sea. I read about a giant three-headed creature that guards this place, but I never believed it. But before Mr. Fantastic and Johnny can catch their breaths... Look out! Cave in! The Earth opens up and literally swallows Reed and Johnny. Hang on there, boy! Down, down, down they plummet, lost in the darkness until finally, at the bottom of the pit... Is this black? What sort of place can this be? Say, Reed, over here, what is it? Feels like a door in the wall. It could be minutes or hours later when the two regain consciousness only to find themselves garbed in strange heavy suits that protect them from the blinding unearthly glow. Oh, my God. How do we get into these clothes? It's about time you came around. Who are you? I can't see. Where are we? What do you think it is? The reason for your blindness is the glare from this valley of time. It's brighter than the sun. And as for me, I am the moon man. While Reed and Johnny are dazzled by the Valley of Diamonds, more action awaits Ben and Sue on the surface. 
I've got to find Reed and Johnny. Wait, what's that down? Other ears and eyes sense the approaching menace. Look up behind you, The second gigantic guardian of Monster Isle is powerful beyond belief. But he is fighting a foe whose very body has been supercharged with cosmic energy. A foe that cannot be stopped. He's done it, And what if Reed Richards and Johnny's using that marble magic again? Let's descend to the depths of Monster Island, where we find them confronted by the strange mole man. So you have never heard of me before. The world will know by name. For soon the moon man will control the power of the earth. It all started long ago. Let the surface world mock me. Hey, I could endure it no longer. I resolved to find a place of my own. The legendary world at the center of land. A world where I could be king. Then, when I had almost abandoned hope, I saw where it led to the land of my dreams.
You haven't won yet. You can beat my entire menagerie of monsters. And then they come. Like pieces from an insane nightmare. Roaring, running, snarling. The Mole Man's entire army of underground gargoyles. But the unbelievable power of the torch flying between his fantastic allies and the pursuing hordes raises a swath of melting earth. Later. What happened to the mole man? I left him there. He'll never bother anyone. Look, he destroyed the entire island. It's the best way. There was no place for him in our world. I just hope we've seen the last of Whether we've seen the last of the mole man or not, one thing is certain. We'll see much more of the world's most incredible quartet in the weeks to come as we pursue the further adventures of... And so ends another podcast. But before we go, we have one more thing for all of you. Frank, what is it? June is a memorable month for the great Bambino, for it was on June 10th, 1921, that Babe Ruth hit his 120th home run at the Polo Grounds. And it was on June 2nd, 1935, that Babe Ruth retired from baseball. So in honor of the man, we have two clips from him. One from his early glory days, and one from near the end of his career. So until next time, this is Uncle Frank. And this is Jimmy Sweets, signing off. See you next month. I've had three ambitions in my life. One was to hit 700 home runs, the other was to play 20 years, and the next one was to be in 10 World Series. I succeeded in one last year, making my 10th World Series. And next year gives me the opportunity to play in 20 years. And if I had 46 home runs, I'd have my 700 home runs, and I'll sure be satisfied. This is Albert B. Chandler. At this time, I would like to introduce a boy who will be under the leadership of Babe Ruth when Babe takes over his new job as director of baseball for the American Legion, representing the boys of the American Legion, speaking for every American boy. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Larry Cutler. Thank you, Mr. Chandler. I guess there are thousands of 13-year-old fellows like myself in this country who have heard about Babe Ruth ever since the first time they learned there was such a game as baseball. It's a great honor to be here, just to be able to tell Babe Ruth how proud we are to have him back in baseball, back where he belongs. And to know that Babe Ruth is going to be with us, kids, well, that's the biggest and best thing that could happen in baseball. From all of us kids, Babe, it's swell to have you back. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth!
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You know how bad my voice sounds. Well, it feels just as bad. You know this baseball game of ours comes up from the youth. That means the boys. And after you're a boy and grow up to know how to play ball, then you come to the boys you see representing themselves today in your national pastime. The only real game, I think, in the world, baseball. As a rule, some people think if you give them a football or a baseball or something like that, naturally, they're athletes right away. But you can't do that in baseball. You gotta start from way down the bottom when you're six or seven years of age. You can't wait until you're 15 or 16. You gotta let it grow up with you. And if you're successful and you try hard enough, you're bound to come out on top just like these boys have come to the top now. There's been so many lovely things said about me, and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to thank everybody. Thank you. Give away,